What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Podcast listeners, this episode, I'm hanging out round two with Dr. Nathan Hart. He is the pastor of a church out in Greenwich, Connecticut. He is a Hope College graduate. He's on the board, and I just look up to the man like crazy in so many different ways. So I reached out to him, and I was like, yo, Dr. Hart, we need, a, we need to spread a little love, a little joy of uh, just to the world with everything that's going on right now um, with COVID. And this is one of the few podcasts that I actually wanted to make sort of a, a time-focused thing. But I think his words are not just how to heal, how to how to trust God, you know, how, how, to, how to have some hope in the midst of all this for the short term, but also in the long-term run as well too. So if you're somebody of faith, this is an amazing message uh, for you. If you're somebody who's not of faith, this is an amazing message for you. If you're somebody who's questioning, this is an amazing mes- message for you. Um, faith is certainly something that causes, you know, controversy in the whole religion game or anything like that. And so if you ever want to reach out to me personally, Matt at CompetitiveWedge.com, my cell phone is 734-368-6946. I would happily take a call, text, have a conversation related to faith. You can just call me and say, here's all the problems I have with it. And I'd be like, great, let's just have a discussion around it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, perspectives. And ultimately, you know, I, I just love having the conversations around Jesus and faith as well, too. So on this podcast, Dr. Hart dives deep into what's going on in his church and in his world, but also how he's having hope in the midst of everything going on. So, Dr. Hart, thank you for the inspirational message. Thank you for the, the, the word of God and, and delivering that. And just thank you for the man that you are. Dr. Hart, round two of the podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Matt. It's a real privilege and honor to um, be part of it with you. 
It's uh, it's fun stuff. I know you're recording from Connecticut, and I'm here in Michigan, and uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about. But I would love if you know, can you just give sort of the listeners a high level overview of uh, where you came from, who you are, and you know a little bit about the church today? Sure thing. Yeah, I grew up in Holland, Michigan, and then went to Hope College, which I know is near and dear to your heart as well. And uh, when I graduated Hope College, I went on to seminary. I had really gotten a call to be a pastor way back when I was seven years old. And uh, so finishing up Hope College, I had some really good theology professors who guided me to Princeton Theological Seminary in uh, New Jersey, is right outside New York City. And when I was at Princeton, I started falling into some really meaningful relationships with ministry heads in Manhattan, in New York City, including at the time the chaplain for the New York Yankees. And I started working with him, not so much with the team, but with another branch of his ministry for Wall Street men. And I was conducting boardroom Bible studies in these Wall Street firms in you know high rises in Midtown and in Wall Street area. It was an interesting time because it was right after 9-11. So there was a great spiritual hunger among a lot of those people who were so dramatically affected by what happened on 9-11. Through those relationships with those men and their families, I have basically continued to have a mission field to the Wall Street demographic. Every calling that I've gotten since seminary has been to these, you know, very wealthy, um, very exclusive, uh, just a real thin slice of the demographic when you hear the phrase the 1% or when you hear the phrase the 0.1%. This has basically been my mission field. And some years later, I I ended up after Princeton, I did a doctorate at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary on the question, if Jesus called the gospel, good news to the poor, then how do I, as a preacher and minister to the very wealthy, communicate what he called good news to the poor? So I've tried to wrap my mind around that question and try to really minister to these people and try to speak to their spiritual poverty, that if Jesus is good news to the poor, we all have different ways of measuring poverty. You can be very materially wealthy, but still need Jesus desperately. So that's been a real driving force of my ministry to this demographic. I am a father of two children and a husband. (laughs) Maybe I should have led with that. (laughs) It's okay. You're saving the best for last. (laughs) (laughs) But I I now serve as the senior pastor of a church called Stanwich Church in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's another suburb of New York City, very much Wall Street demographic, like I was just describing. And we have a second location of our church now in Stamford, Connecticut, which is the uh, town right next door to Greenwich here in uh, Connecticut. That is absolutely amazing. And obviously we, we, we've chatted a little bit. The one question I have, you know, just for those that haven't, uh, you know, fully listened to, you know, the other podcast we had as well too, but we've, mm-hmm. da- we've talked about this and, you know, one, just when we, we've spent some time together, but, you know, for you gaining sort of clout in the midst of being a pastor, but, you know, to the very exclusive or cut off or the 1%, you know, do you have like, you don't need to spend too much time, but how have you gone about sort of gaining the respect um, and sort of meeting people where they're at in the midst of some of the most high profile, whether it's pro athletes, wealthy Wall Streeters mm-hmm. or whatever that is. So how yeah. have you gone about that? But from a ministry standpoint? Yeah, I'll be real brief on that. But I, I think the real key is non-judgmentalism. You know, no matter where God calls us, if we show up without judging them, that's going to be a great first step. You know, some pastors are called to 
you know, potato farmers in Idaho. And if you walk into a church full of potato farmers in Idaho and you look down on them for whatever reason, they're not going to accept you as their pastor. And in the same way, you know, the 0.1%, there's a lot of people who, you know, they have a lot of complicated emotions about the very wealthy. They're either, and this, I think I described this on the last podcast, but I'll say it again. It's worth repeating. I find that there's basically two categories of responses to the elite, so to speak. You're either enchanted by them or you are embittered by them. You're either enchanted, you drive around town going, I want to be these people. I want to be just like them. I want all their trappings of their wealth and all that. Or you're embittered. You drive around town going, I hate these people. You know, they're, they're unjust or they're arrogant or they're whatever. And if you can somehow avoid both of those pitfalls, either being enchanted or being embittered, that's how you can then begin to actually do ministry with them, to point them to the savior that we all need. So there's a lot more to say about that. And if, if listeners want to, they can probably go back and listen to our, our first interview. I think we dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, we definitely do. So thank you for touching on that. Um, so, you know, I find a really, really interesting, you know, uh, parallel here. So you mentioned, you know, right post 9-11 was sort yeah. of the, not not maybe the beginning of your ministry, but like really when you were, you were fully diving in in the midst of chaos, right? So now, you know, in the midst of COVID and, and, and not just to talk about COVID, but more take this in the sense of like, there is chaos going in the world that leaves everybody in a constant uneasy state. So mm-hmm. can you just dive in a little bit to like how you, pa- like, how do you lead from the pulpit, but how do you pastor in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. And then obviously we'll dive in a couple different directions, but just like maybe high level sort of how you've taken the approach of leading in the midst of this. Yeah. Certainly, there's chaos everywhere. There's a sense of being out of control, which for really any human being, that feels problematic. But especially for those who do have wealth and influence, they have a real myth, I'd call it, of thinking that they're in control of their lives. And something like COVID-19 and the global pandemic really blew up that myth for all of us. You know, it basically was a huge smack in the face reminder, you're not actually in control. And that was very disorienting for many of us, you know, including my congregation. And how do I lead with messaging on that? Really, I would say, Matt, being attentive to what the Holy Spirit is speaking. What is God speaking in all of this? You know, we know some of what God is speaking because we have his word and we open his word every day and we ask the Holy Spirit to apply the scriptures to our current circumstance Um, We know it through prayer, you know, just being attentive, putting our spiritual antenna up and saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to your people right now? And what I've tried to do, Matt, each week that I've preached, well, actually in general, even each week that I preach, but especially these last six or seven weeks, I've tried to really open up my mind, my spirit to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? And, you know, on that first week or two, when everybody felt out of control You know, it was a matter of saying to the congregation, hey, folks, God is actually still in control. We maybe thought we were, and now we know we're not. But let's remind ourselves that God is sovereign. You know, I remember saying in my first sermon when this was all blowing up, I remember saying we we have to be careful with our words and phrases. There was a lot of people saying in the news and you know, in my life, they were saying the world's been turned upside down. The world's been turned upside down. And I stood in the pulpit, you know, speaking into a camera because we were all holed up in our homes by then, but the sermon still got out to everybody. I said, 
let's be careful with our phrasing. The world has not been turned upside down. It's in fact, planet Earth is still spinning on its axis, just as God's sovereign hand designed it to. In the same way it was spinning on its axis and revolving around the sun and in its position in the galaxy, just like it was a month ago and just like it will be one month from now, just as God designed it. The world has not been turned upside down. Our worlds, our emotional worlds have been turned upside down. But God is still in command of the whole universe and he's not surprised by all of this. So that kind of reminder was very comforting to the congregation. Um, there, there's a lot more. So each week, you know, as, as events unfold, as news comes out, as we're just kind of taking in new information day by day, hour by hour, I'm opening my Bible and I'm saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying to your people right now? What do we need to hear today? And I stand there and I communicate it. And for a lot of people, it's been, it's been very comforting, encouraging, correcting. It's been, you know, uh, seemingly to them more relevant maybe than it was before. Cause it's like, Oh wait, God has something to say about this situation. Let's hear, like, you know, people are looking for anchors. They're looking for anchors for their souls and they're finding it in, you know, in a lot of the ministry programming and messaging that we're putting out there. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good word. So for you personally, like as, as you've spent time in, in scripture and, you know, before you go put a message out there, sort of what's the good news or the truth or the correction or the, you know, whatever that, that God's sort of specifically been speaking to you maybe. And obviously, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, but I would love just to sort of hear you as a leader, how mm-hmm. God's been sort of speaking to you specifically. And then obviously what you choose to extend to the church. Yeah. One of the things that I have been talking about with my congregation is what is being revealed. And, you know, people use the term apocalypse, you know, is this, is this the apocalypse was a question on some people's minds early on in this pandemic, you know, and at first, Matt, I thought, oh, that's a ridiculous question. You know, the apocalypse is going to be way more dramatic than this. But then I remembered the meaning of the word apocalypse it basically just means uncovering, uncovering. It's a Greek word. It's a biblical word. It's, it's actually why we call the book of Revelation, Revelation. Revelation just simply means an uncovering, apocalypse, apocalypto. And so I've really been thinking about that in these moments. And in some sense, then this is an apocalypse, right? It's an uncovering. It's a, it's a revealing. And what is being revealed at this time? Well, a lot of things, you know, on a macro scale or now realizing in a new way the importance of what we call essential workers. You know, that's a revelation to some people. Oh my goodness, the people who stock my grocery shelves are very important to my well-being and my life and my survival. That's a revelation. But on a much more deeper and personal level, I think a lot of things are being revealed. There's been a lot of apocalypses, revelations, uncoverings in people's own lives. I mentioned the one a few minutes ago about control. That's something that I think God has really been exposing or revealing in me. You know, I, I'll just give you a, an illustration of what I mean. Um, before the pandemic hit on Saturday nights, I was pretty relaxed. I had my sermon all ready to go for Sunday morning. I knew all the musicians and, you know, all the ministries were going to be 
showing up the next morning and doing their thing and the congregation was going to be showing up and it was going to be wonderful. And, you know, I could kind of, if anything went wrong during a worship service, I knew that I was going to be able to handle that. And well, once the pandemic hit, we shifted entirely as almost every church in America has now done. We've shifted entirely to an online model where we have been basically producing a one hour television program. We record it all throughout the week and it all gets stitched together by this really great video editor on our team. And it gets put out there on Sunday mornings and I have nothing to do Sunday morning other than watch it. And I noticed in the first few weeks that Saturday nights, I was really anxious. I wasn't as peaceful as I used to be. And I was like, why is that? Why am I so anxious on Saturday night? Whereas I used to be, I don't have anything to do tomorrow morning. Why am I anxious? And I realized it's because I'm totally out of control now that what I'm depending on for my ministry to succeed the next day is out of my hands. You know, we had some, some streaming issues early on where the video feed cut out or some people on some platforms were losing the signal or I don't know, the video editor guy didn't uh, hit the right button. I don't know. He doesn't make any mistakes. So that didn't happen. But anyway, the point is I had things out of my hands and that made me feel anxious. And I thought, now here's a revelation. Here's an exposure to something in my own soul. I used to relax on Saturday nights. Why? Because I thought I was in control of what was going to be happening the next day. Now that those details are out of my hands, I'm freaking out. What does that reveal in me? That reveals in me that I'm not trusting the one, capital O one, the one who actually is in control of the entire universe. I have a myth that I'm in control and that's where I've been finding comfort. Well, that's no, that's actually not right. I need to be trusting even when I'm out of control, which is one of the hardest things for any human being to do, to trust when we are out of control. And it's actually the very thing that Jesus asks us to do when he says, Unless you have faith like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, how does a child have faith? A child knows that he or she is completely dependent on the care of the adults, right? So Jesus is saying to us, I want you to to depend on me being in control to meet your needs. And then you begin understanding who I am for you. So that's been a huge revelation for me. It's been an apocalypse, you know, in my own soul. There's a lot more that I could talk about, but that's the chief one that's been on my mind. Yeah, no, that's 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 so good. And I mean, such an interesting like self-awareness too of saying, wow, okay, this was like, you know, I hope this is not taken the wrong way, but an exposure of and and you know first off came to light and then God corrected that. And then obviously what an amazing moment between you and God to learn through that. So that's that's fantastic. Um, on that note, sort of the, related to the control, this might be a, a bit of a challenging question, and we could probably spend days talking about this. But, you know, so you have ministered to a lot of successful people and let's say a lot of different business owners of you and I've had some discussions related to. And what I'm trying to balance right now is that, you know, I am trying to lead an organization and employees who are not necessarily of faith I myself, um, sure, there's some, you know, a little bit of angst and in, in the uncertainty of where things are going. But like also at the end of the day, you know, if COVID happens and it is apocalyptic in the sense of like the world is over, I, you know, at least hope to, to know where I'm going. So how do I take that idea of like, I'm sort of in this content place in my own life, but trying to lead people um, that might not have that same level of understanding 
And, you know, that's what I'm trying to just sort of work through and balance of like how to be, you know, a, a God-fearing man in my own life, how to be a God-fearing business leader, but also how to, you know, show that I'm comfort and content without in every single board meeting or every single business plan meeting say, hey, well, we're just going to pray where there's some people who don't understand that at all. So that's what I'm sort of just wrestling through. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or maybe that's, you know, mm-hmm. two or three hours of discussion and, and many, many in depth to that. But I'd love just to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like you're already doing a really good job of processing. Um, in some ways, you're talking about a clash of culture. You know, you and I, having been to places like Hope College, and, you know, I grew up in a Christian school, K through 12, a Christian household, and there's a certain language that we use. There's a certain mode of op- operation that we use where, you know, you can just stop to pray and that's totally normal and actually uh, applauded by everyone around us. And then we kind of get out of that Christian subculture setting into the larger world where that actually comes across as really weird. Like, why would this person stop to pray? Why is this person using language that sounds foreign to me? So I think what what you're experiencing right now, Matt, is you're learning how to speak a new language. You're learning how to interact with a culture that's a foreign land to, to you. And you're a foreign land to a lot of the people that you're in those meetings with. So it's kind of like a, um, you know, a cultural experience and experiment that you're living through. And, you know, the Bible does have a lot to say about this, being in the world, but not of the world, being salt and light in, you know, a dark world. And so it's learning the language, but it's learning what our calling is as well. It's learning to love people right where they are. You know, moving from West Michigan out here to the New York City area, that was my big cultural clash moment where I realized a lot of the, the ways I talk, the things I say, the the MO that I have, you know, it, it's it came across as weird or cheesy or, you know, irrelevant. Even the fact that you probably smiled at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> totally. There's a there's a passive aggression uh communication style, passive aggressive communication style that I still am unlearning, you know, out here in the Northeast. I married a a woman from around here and she still points it out to me sometimes. She's like, okay, why didn't you just say what you were thinking right then? And I'm like, because it didn't sound nice, you know, the the niceness thing. That's that's a hope college ingrainedness. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Niceness is the highest virtue, you know, and and now I'm here in the New York City area and people are like, they sent, they smell niceness like a shark smells blood blood, you know, like I'm going to eat this guy up. So that's been an interesting thing for a pastor, you know, a West Michigan pastor is like exceedingly nice and has a certain way of talking and being, you know, and a, and a pastor out here, if you acted that way, people would be like, what's up with this guy? You know, Softy. <laughs> to apply it to your, to apply it to your situation, you know, I would, if I were you, I would really study up on these concepts of being salt and light. You know, aside from the whole cultural linguistic thing that we're talking about, um, what does it mean to be salt? You know, salt is something that adds flavor. So you, everywhere you go, you want to make it better. Whatever the situation is, how would salt make the flavor of the situation come out? You can do that without saying, in the name of Jesus, I make this better. You know what I mean? Like you can just be a, a, 
uh, a flavorful addition to every room that you're in. What does it mean to be light? You know, some of the light aspect is what we were just talking about of exposure. Light exposes things, you know, so if you see an untruth or injustice or something as a person of the light, you actually are called to expose that and to bring it to light and to bring it to justice or whatever it needs. Uh, you know, being light is not just being positive, like smiling, like you were just talking about. It's not like a Joel Osteen face. That's not necessarily what light means only. Um, and I think, too, you I think you earlier used the word peace or calmness. You know, people who are people whose lives are rooted and anchored and established in the God of the universe. We are less shaken by uncomfortable situations because we have that anchor, right? We have a a deeper root and to be in a meeting where people around the table are acting like the sky is falling or they're acting like they're out of control. Like we were talking about earlier for you or I to sit there calmly with a, a centeredness in Christ without having to say his name, right? To just say, Lord, I need you to be my peace right now in the midst of this storm. We will actually emerge, um, you know, as the reliable leader that we're called to be in that moment. And we don't even need to say to anybody, I am leading this way because of Jesus. If they ask, hey, Matt, you know, when that whole thing was breaking apart last month, how did you remain so calm in all of that? Then if they ask, then you can say, you know what? It's because I have this, this rootedness, this anchor in Jesus. Do you want to learn more about him too? You know, and we have that kind of winsome response to their question without having to lead with it, you know, let them become curious about it. But also, I would also just say, before you go on to your next question, the way I just phrased all of that sounds, it could sound like a lot of pressures on us to be to be perfect, right? I hear this language a lot coming from West Michigan. Go be Jesus. Be Jesus in that boardroom. Be Jesus in that locker room. Well, that's a lot of pressure because guess what? There's only one Jesus and I'm not him. I do a really bad job of being Jesus. So so the real aspect here is when I fail, when I'm not peaceful, when I do lose my temper, when I raise my voice, when I say something hurtful to somebody, then I, I immediately as soon as I am able, ask for their forgiveness. And I show, I demonstrate to them the power of grace, the power of forgiveness, the power of reconciliation. That, then the person's going to say, okay, interesting. This person not only is, is peaceful most of the time, but when he's not, when he messes up, he has this other response, which is also really powerful and different and you know, and that's, that's a lot of what it looks like to be salt and light in our situations. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, my, uh, I guess the last sort of direction I want to take this real quick is, uh, as you alluded to, you know, (laughs) there's so much negativity conversation going on and this is all people are talking about, which I get because it encompasses so much of life, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of hope that's come from this. I mean, for example, your personal journey, you learned maybe a, a correction that God, you know, helped you or at least, you know, helped you guys grow closer together, which is amazing and may not have happened had this not have yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, one of the big moments I had was like our family did a, a Zoom um, 
Zoom call on like a Sunday morning. We all, this was a bunch of us and there's, you know, great grandbabies now and my grandpa and, you know, it's just this really, really cool moment. And my uncle, who's a pastor, he actually went to Hope as well, but he's a pastor on Colorado. He made the comment that like, you know, you think about the number of people who are hearing Jesus's name due to like Zoom and Zoom calls yeah. and the number of small groups that have emerged that, ne- you know, never would have happened or even the communication and then the connection of people that otherwise never would have happened it, because of this. And so, Absolutely. you know, where for you have you seen just like a man, God makes good of all things, even in the midst of some of the worst, quote unquote, worldly environments? What's just like a glimmer of hope for you that you've seen emerge from this? Matt, as you were asking that whole question, goosebumps covered my whole body because the explosion of the kingdom of God over the last six or seven weeks has been a a sight to behold for me. I mean, we, our, you you know, I don't like it when pastors talk about numbers because it just really doesn't seem to be the point to me. Like, you know, you talk to pastors like, oh, we went from 12 people in my living room to 50,000 on a Sunday, whatever. Like they're always talking about numbers. But I do have to say, you know, our church in the metro New York City area, it's about a 500 person church, which is large for this area of the world. You know, it's not large if you go to Texas or something, but for us around here, that's already pretty large. But when the, when the church quote unquote shut down seven weeks ago, we went online, you know, I had an amazing staff who really basically went into startup mode and transitioned the entire platform of the ministry from in-person to online. Those first couple Sundays, we were reaching 1,600 people with our services. And people are signing up. We're now doing like online alpha class. One of our pastors started a Thursday night Zoom with um, one of his friends in the congregation who's in his 20s who has a ton of non-Christian friends. And the, the young man in our congregation invited his friends like, hey, come on Thursday nights for like a happy hour with my pastor. You can ask him any spiritual questions you want. Well, something like 17 to 20 people now every Thursday night, non-Christians are signing on to this call. And, and some of them are coming to Christ for the first time in their lives through this. I hold in my hand right now uh, a little note, a handwritten note from a little old lady named Ethel. Okay. It's, it's dated April 27. And it says this, just a short note to let you know what a blessing streaming your service has meant to our family. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. One son lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and my other son's family lives in Greenwich. On Sunday, we all attend church together. Thank you, Ethel. Think about that, Matt. Here's a family now, because of our live stream worship services, which we didn't weren't really doing very effectively before, now here's a family all over the nation spread out, and they all gather for church, quote unquote, together on Sunday mornings with their mom, Ethel. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. There's just so much. There's I could go on and on and on with examples of the expansion of God's kingdom during this time there, when people do feel out of control, when people feel like uh, something bigger than themselves is happening, their spiritual hunger goes through the roof. And for those ministries out there, for those churches who are saying, you know what, we know the, um, we know where to find some bread. You're hungry. You're spiritually hungry. We know where to find some bread. It's the bread of life in Jesus. For those ministries out there who are offering that people are, 
responding. And we're seeing that big time. Uh, just one more quick example. A lot of churches out there have been freaking out about finances as 30 million people are unemployed and the economy is tanking and all that. Well, our church tithing has gone up. Tithing has gone up significantly since the pandemic hit. That's amazing. I mean, we're, we're not passing any collection plates on Sunday mornings, which means that the entire congregation has figured out how to tithe online practically overnight. And not only that, they're giving more than they were before. So uh, I'll have to stop myself because I could probably talk for another hour. <laughs> all of the ways that God is on the move, the, the quote unquote church has its doors locked, but the real church, that's the people has been unlocked and unleashed and is going like wildfire across our land. I'm so, yeah. it's not just a silver lining. It's not just a glimmer of hope. It's like, it, it's an apocalypse. It's a revelation. You, I don't know if Zoom lets you do this, but you return the goosebumps right back to me. So thank you for that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, Dr. Hart, I just want to say a huge thank you. This has been absolutely amazing. Um, I, you know, obviously, you know, our, our, our friendship through the years has always been always been a joy. But just to hear from your perspective and in, in your unique pocket of, of the world and all the amazing stuff that, you know, you're doing in, in that world, but also God's doing through you as well, too, is just inspiring. So I just want to say a huge thank you. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, you're doing a great job, man. Keep uh, keep it up and keep exploring these ideas and pursuing God's will for you and for the world around you. I pray for you, brother. Love it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, you too.